fasten your seatbelt. We're doing part two of Nehemiah. And uh, after last week and preparing for this, I really felt that uh, not only was this an important word for a number of us individually, but a very profitable word for us corporately, church, in some areas. So I, I want to invite you to take out your notes and follow along. Um, turn to the book of Nehemiah if you want to follow, but I'm going to kind of do some scriptures that are kind of throughout the book. And uh, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's one of my favorite people of the Bible because it's about God's people being put back together. It's about God's city being reestablished. They had been their temple and their walls uh, for security, gave them identity as a city and protection from the outside, had been destroyed decades earlier by the Babylonian Empire. And so we're talking about the rebuilding of those walls. Nehemiah comes as the leader to do that. And so that's what his purpose is. And some incredible things happen. I invite you just to get last week's CD uh, if you want to kind of see where we came from. But you see what happens here in chapter 1 is we said last week that everything, if you want to be a difference maker, if you want to rebuild things from your in your personal life, in things around you, pull yourself up out of the rubble and debris, debris of life, what do you got to do? Well, it's got to start in your heart. There has to be this sense of your heart that says, God, I want you to use me. I want to do something. That's what happened with Nehemiah. The enemies are surrounding the city of Jerusalem. The walls are down in ruins. The morale of the people is in shambles. But the part that really concerns Nehemiah, and this is really the thread throughout God's word, Nehemiah is really concerned that God's whole dream of redeeming the world, of forming a redemptive community and living in covenant with them, living out the promises that God has made to them, could possibly be sidetracked if this people doesn't come back together. Because see, God created each of us and this earth is part of, well, history but more importantly, his story. And at this point, this whole covenant, this whole God relationship to the world seems to be at risk. And see, this idea did not, did not exist anywhere else in the world at this time. God says, I'm going to use one small remnant group of people. I'm going to use the nation, the people of Israel, and they're going to be the stewards of this idea of God coming to redeem a world. And it's going to happen through Jesus, Yeshua, Mashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to come through this people. And so Nehemiah, as much as anything, says, God, use me to keep that on track. And there begins to be this burning sense of dissatisfaction. Within, we talked last week about this phrase that, well, it's made famous by Popeye, but I'm sure that it really resonated with Nehemiah, where he begins to hear and see what happens. And he says, that's, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. I've got to do something. And this thing in his heart began to move and motivate him. And you'll see a quote there by one of the pastors who mentored me from a distance. There will never be a move of God without a man or woman moved by God. And it's so easy for us to look around and expect someone else to do it. Whether it's out there or in our own personal lives. 
But somewhere, sometime, somehow, God says, I want to move you to be a difference maker. And secondly, what Nehemiah does is he, it starts in his heart, and then it builds on prayer. See, prayer didn't change anything, but it began to change and move and motivate Nehemiah to be a difference maker. And that has to happen. See, it's one thing to be moved, stirred in your heart, but then at some point you've got to say, God, what do I do? How is this going to work out? And sometimes we forget the power of prayer. That's one of the reasons why I said last week we're going to ramp it up. And this week, Tuesday morning at 6.30, from 6.30 to 7.30, come anytime, but we're going to pray for people that need work, that have been out of work, people that need help financially. They're struggling. We're going to pray for you. If you don't come, we're still going to pray for you. But I would encourage you to come and say, God, I, I, wanna, I just want to pray. I want to get before you. I want to humble myself. I want to ask you. I've had some incredible answers to prayer just in the last three weeks. And, that's, and I just said, that's, that's what I've got to do. I think God says, I'm going to show you, Terry. I'm going to remind you just how powerful prayer is. And I've seen some wonderful major answers. So I, we're, we're going to do that. And that's what Nehemiah did. Now, he didn't just say, okay, Lord, I pray this. He literally spent four months broken, crying, mourning, fasting, saying, God, do this in me. Do this through me. Four months. And sometimes we do. We forget. You know, we kind of go, well, oh, God, I don't know if he's going to answer this prayer. Or it's been two weeks. Some of us, oh, it's been two minutes. I haven't seen an answer yet. I don't know how God works all the time. But I know he answers. And it's a powerful spiritual weapon that we can use. Ephesians 6 talks about it. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world is Mother Teresa. And uh, just during my devotional time, I was reading one of her books this week. And one of the quotes that she said, a little story that she told about, she was going and crossing into Gaza for some ministry. And as she was at the, the check-in post, getting ready to come over, she was, care she, she was asked this question. Now, you've got to know, this is Mother Teresa. Probably everybody in the world knows her. She's about four foot one, uh, probably 60 pounds wet. And they ask her, you carrying any weapons, ma'am? I love her answer. Oh, yes, my prayer books. See, we, got, we can't forget, loved ones, prayer is an incredible weapon to use in our life. And Nehemiah does that. Four months. But then the next lesson, and this is where we're going to pick it up, is the next lesson we learn is not only is it start in our heart, builds on prayer, but then it's got to be followed with action. To make a difference, to rise above the rubble in your life, in your business, in your finances, wherever it is, you've got to take action. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted to simply give myself credit because, well, I have a good heart. I have an empathetic feeling about something. You know, you see it on TV, and if you feel like, well, I just felt bad about it, that's good enough. No. Nehemiah felt really, really bad about his people that were miles away. He felt so bad that it caused him to pray for them and to be broken before God for them. But then it didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to take some action. And what he did was he deliberately, and this is what an action person does, they deliberately expose themselves to the full extent of the difficulty and the tragedy. And that's what he did. He went to Jerusalem. He got permission. He goes to Jerusalem. He pulls all the leaders of Jerusalem together and he says to them in chapter 2, verse 17 of Nehemiah, you see the trouble we're in. He, 
he takes them around. He says, look, this is a mess. This is a reproach to God and a disgrace to you as his people. This is unacceptable. He begins to ride around and he says to himself, and I'm sure to these guys, it's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And he gets to this place where no difficulty, no obstacle, no opposition will distract him from what God has called him to do. And then he begins to cast this bold vision. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he says this, Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so we will no longer be in disgrace. I want to ask you, how many of us would say, you know, I got some stuff going on in my life that looks good. God's begin to reestablish and rebuild it. And I got, I got some walls going up. But you know what? There's still some debris. There's still some stuff that needs to be picked up, cleaned out, and rebuilt. And unfortunately, it's causing just a little bit of reproach, a little bit of disgrace to my life and to what people around me see. It is so easy to get comfortable with the debris and the rubble around us. And we just live with it. Do a little bit of rebuilding, but we really do get comfortable. And Nehemiah says, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And he says, I told them, who? The people around him. He says, I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. I'm going to let you go. Go do it. Friends, it takes one person with great passion who is courageous and clear enough to name it and to call it what it is and to say, okay, let's go. And then we see in chapter uh, 2, verse 18, and then they began the good work. See, that's what leadership does. Whether you're the leader in your home, the leader in your business, the leader of people around you, you have to define the reality. It isn't just keep going, but what is the reality? Nehemiah saw it, says, look, this place is busted up and it's a disgrace. We got to do something. And then he cast this bold vision. And sometimes we as dads need to do that, or mothers, people at our work. But he cast this bold vision. And the people begin to get behind him. Now, I, I said this first, I'm going to say it this service. Sometimes people think I'm more passionate about some things than I am others, and I suppose that's true, but I'm, I'm a pretty passionate person no matter what it is. And, and the thing I don't ever want is, is for people to just see passion and, oh boy, this must have been an important Sunday. He was really fired up, so this Sunday isn't that important. That's never true. I'm passionate about everything, but I am going to tell you this. There's a few things that I'm really passionate about. And, and let me tell you what they are. Um, number one, that lost people are found. The lost people come to God. That is the reality of what this church and every church has to be about. Doesn't mean they are, but that's the reality we need to live in. Secondly, I am passionate about people growing up in Jesus Christ. So they, 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 they don't look around and blame everyone. And what God's called them to do and to become, and they, they take responsibility for that. I am passionate about that. 
Third thing I'm passionate about is the protection and the unity of the church. Because Jesus said at the end, he says, I pray that we would all be united as one. That's his prayer for you and me. And if we're not living that out, then that's the one prayer of Jesus that we can answer. Not only am I passionate about those things, but I have to tell you, sometimes those things can make me really mad when they're not happening, when people make excuses for them, when they're not taking place or it's not happening. And I want to be careful today because I'm going to talk about one of those just quickly, but I don't ever want to be seen as an angry pastor because I'm not. But I do get angry sometimes. I'm really not angry about this, but it, it's, it's almost there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that in just a minute. But I'm, this is something that kind of almost makes me mad because I'm often surprised, but I'm never shocked about how comfortable people can get with living in the rubble of their life. People get really comfortable living with a bad marriage. Bad finances. Difficult children. Lack of purpose. Unwilling to grow in God. And that's just debris around them and like I said, maybe they started growing, but that's a lot of work. And they just become comfortable with all this stuff. And this is what I know. If we're not consistently building our life and allowing God to build it, can I tell you what's probably going to happen? Well, the more debris is going to come. Because if you're not building, you're probably going backwards. If you're not moving forward, you're going back. I have to tell you, it hurts me as a pastor, but sometimes it really makes me mad to see that. People live in their marriage and they just go, eh, we'll put up with it. You know. People start doing stuff to change their marriage or their business or whatever and then all of a sudden they quit. They get comfortable or they forget to see the debris. I've seen people who make these incredible decisions before God when something in their marriage happens and then it's well, a week, a month, a year later, they've forgotten all those commitments that they made to God. They're no longer committed to moving forward because you know what? They are simply comfortable with the continued debris instead of living a life that continues to pick it up, move it out, reset it, and rebuild it. It breaks my heart but it also kind of makes me mad as a pastor. Because people begin to see rubble and they, they just get so used to it. It's kind of like, well, I don't, I don't even see it anymore. I'm not aware of it. Well, I know the people have talked about it and people see it in me, but I don't see it. Or people say, you know, it's too much work. I don't want to keep doing that. I don't want to continue to take responsibility for what I need to do in and through this. Or they want somebody else to do it for them. God, if you want it done, you do it. I'm just praying for God to change me. What are you doing? That breaks my heart. It makes me mad. 
Because one of the things, friends, that we're learning from Nehemiah, it does not happen just with prayer. There must be prayer with action, movement. See, life will not give you what you deserve or desire. It will give you what you settle for. Did you hear that? Life doesn't give you what you deserve or what you desire. It will give you what you settle for. We serve this God of incredible abundance, this God of redemptive purposes that says, I come to your life because I want to begin to rebuild every broken area. But the question is, will you cooperate with me? Will you work with me? Will you believe in me? Will you trust me? And will you put in the head work, the heart work, and the homework to begin to make it happen? And too many go, I don't know. That sounds like work. That sounds like discipline. And it is. And so people live at a level that they simply settle for. Well, Nehemiah doesn't do that. He's a difference maker. He's a rebuilder. And he says... I've seen all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And so he begins to go after this project. And he says, it's not going to stay that way under my watch. He hears about the trouble. And even though he's living miles away, guess what? His life is going really, really well. But he hears about it and he says, that's it. I'm going to be a difference maker. I want you to just the process that he goes through and what he has to give up. Because he lived for something bigger than himself. He prays and he risks going to the king. He gets the foreign policy changed about rebuilding God's walls and his nation to give them security. He prays and he gets royal protection. He asks for protection. Then the king gives him a check and he gives him the gold card of the kingdom and says, go buy all the lumber and all the supplies that you need at the local Lowe's. He resigns his high-level job with the king and, and he leaves his home to go work. Why? Because he had his heart busted up by the conditions in Jerusalem. So what does he do? He draws up plans. He calls the leaders together that are already there and he casts a bold vision and then people follow. They have this groundbreaking ceremony. They begin to do the work and all is well in the world and in Jerusalem, isn't it? Not so fast. Nehemiah 2, 19 and 20 says this. Now when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite uh, and, the, and the official in Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. And what did they say? They said, what is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? They really weren't inquiring about what they were doing. This was really a derisive question with an accusatory tone. Who are you to do this? Did the king, would the king really give you permission to see this through and to make it happen? Who are you? What right do you have to do this? And they begin slandering his integrity and just questioning his motivations. Now note this. Seven times in Nehemiah, you're going to see a pattern God's work advances on the walls. Nehemiah moves forward with the people. Something good happens, and you'll always see this phrase, and it's always connected to uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. When they heard. See, when one of those 
members of the opposition side hears about the good, guess what? They stir up more trouble and more opposition. Every advance in Nehemiah's mission was met by opposition and trouble. Well, I thought this was God's work. It is. Guess what? God's work around you, God's work in this place, and God's work in and through you will always be faced by opposition. Believe it. Know it. Get used to it. And know it's going to come. Because I don't know about you, but don't you really think that there's a part in all of us that thinks, man, life should be just a little bit easier. I mean, especially if I try and do this good thing for God. Then it really ought to be easy. Don't we really believe that? Come on. This kind of a, a, a quid pro quo thing with God. God, I'll do this. I'll throw some money in the basket and I'll go to church and maybe I'll even get involved in a growth group and, you know, I might love somebody and send $10 here and do this. And that procures God's blessing. My life should be good. And, you know, it doesn't, God doesn't work that way. I'm in, a, I'm in a heap of hurt now. I'll go back to church. That'll take care of it. God will love me again. And he'll and it doesn't work that way. God's not into bartering. You, if, if you're reading through the Bible with us on our, on our daily, read through the Bible in a year, you would have read Hebrews 11 this past week. And you know what you'd find out? Some of the greatest people of faith experience the greatest difficulties in life. And I'm not one that says, oh, God, beat me and let that happen to me. But true faith says, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens in my life. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going because I know what God's called me to do and to be a part of. So seven times you see this pattern in the book of Nehemiah. Life is a battle, friends. No fighter goes into the ring and starts boxing and doesn't think he's going to get hit. No football player goes out there and doesn't think he's going to get tackled and hit unless he's an Oakland Raider. Then he realizes, you know, he probably ain't going to be able to tackle anybody. But do you hear me? We've got to change our orientation. We've got to know what's coming. I love what Sanballat's name means. You know what it means? It means thorn in secret. Well, let me put that another way. A pain in the posterior. You're not going to see it, but it's going to feel it because he's always going to be there. There's always going to be sand ballots in our life trying to remove and discredit and diminish what God wants to do in and through your life and mine. So after he determines to take action, cast a bold vision, what's the next thing? You've got to be persistent in spirit in the face of opposition. You've got to be persistent in spirit in the face of opposition. Nehemiah faces and works against the wiles of the enemy that wants to stop God's work. Now listen, in chapter 4, you're going to see all of the opposition comes from outside God's people. It comes from the enemies of God and God's people. And that's oftentimes what we face. But in chapter 5, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the enemies that come up from within. And then in chapter 6, you're going to see some more enemies outside. Well, why is that important? Because anytime you're going to do something, loved ones, for God, to move God forward in your family, in your life, in your business, whatever it is, you are going to face opposition. If you want to change the status quo in your family, if you want to change the status quo at work, if I want to change the status quo of this church, 
It's going to come. And it's going to come in some of these ways. You'll note them on your notes. Chapter 4, they face ridicule and criticism. The threat of attack, discouragement. Chapter 5, there is extortion and compromise. And chapter 6, compromise and slander. These are all works of the enemy to begin to diminish what God wants to do and build in your life. Chapter 4, verses 1 says this, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said this, What are they building? Again, pick up the derisive tone. If even a fox climbed up on it, <laughs> he would break down their wall of stones. A fox is not very big. It's somewhere in between a small dog and a, and a cat. And he's saying, if it jumped up there, that, that, that wall's not going to last. It's just going to fall. It's going to break. Man, have you ever been there? Trying to move forward and someone's always talking you down. See, what is discouragement? Well, it means to take away from courage. It means to diminish the courage breakdown that we have when we want to make needed changes, when we want to move forward, when we want to rebuild. And we get this courage from God himself. And all of a sudden, it might be a spouse. Oh, you're not going to change. Might be a friend. You really think you can do that? Might be the voice of our parents from 10, 20 years ago. You'll never amount to anything. Could be the enemy of our soul saying, you know how you live. You really think you're going to be able to make a difference there? You see in chapter 4, verse 10, it says there was literally so much rubble to get out from under and to rise above due to all the devastation and neglect over time that, can we really do this? And I got to tell you, so, over time it is so easy to get waylaid and sidetracked, what? By all the rubble around you. All the rubble, difficulty, stuff that builds up of your life. Listen, even resilient leaders and persevering personalities can be taken down, anchored down by these attacks of the enemy to the place where they got to get away and they got to recalibrate, rethink, and get re-anchored. To Jesus Christ. And Nehemiah does that. But today, is there really anything more disheartening than constant discouragement, constant attack, constant slander? Where are you today? You experience any of that? Imagine if you own a business, a store, we'll say, and you wanted to set up your office next to the complaint area. So you're sitting there, it's a cubicle, it's wide open, but right over here is the complaint desk, back of the store. So you're sitting there as the owner, and every time somebody comes back there with a complaint, you hear it. Service isn't fast enough around here. I don't like this product. I want to return it. It was poor. And, and pretty soon, eight, ten hours a day, you're the owner, and you sit back there doing what you do, and all you hear are the complaints. Do you think that would skew your ability to hear what's really taking place? Because see, if it's a really good business, you would sit back there and listen to all the complaining, belly aching, and bashing. But if you were up front, you might see all these baskets of stuff going out the store being sold. You'd see the cash registers, cha-ching, cha-ching. You'd see happy customers saying, thank you so much for being such a kind and responsible clerk. And pretty soon you'd be thinking, what in the world am I doing this for? 
And, and it's possible, some of us, you may need to reposition yourself. Because where you are is you're listening to all the complaining. And you're not getting an infusion of the good stuff. And that could be a spouse. That could be a friend. Uh, that, that could be the pundits on TV. Listen, I don't even watch news hardly anymore. It's so negative. I'm not sticking my head in the sand. But I think that there's, you know, fear and negativity sells like crazy. It sells in churches. And maybe some of us have been hearing so much negative, we wonder why we're negative and we can't believe God for things in our lives. And we can't hear God to move forward for what he's called us to do. And it's because of, well, we just listen to the pundits and the naysayers. Now, 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 now let me take it a step. I'll quiet down now. Because this is really important to me and I want to say it but I don't want to sound mad. And I really don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. Because very, very, very recently, I was talking to somebody and they said, well, you know, Pastor, I don't go to this anymore, this group over here. Or if I do, I mean, I, I don't go alone. Because if I do, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be somebody there that is always talking down the church. Now, I got to tell you, my blood starts boiling when I hear that kind of stuff. And two reasons. I mean, people say stuff. Listen, I'm always, we're not a perfect church. But if you've got complaints, go to the place where you can get them changed, okay? But this person was saying, you know, they're just so negative, and I can count on it every time I get around them. It's going to be about the church. Now, this is in like in a small group. And I'm thinking, I think I know who that is. I'm going to go after him. Because to tell you the truth, I haven't confirmed because I've really gone before God on this. I'm still before God on this. That I've heard it enough, and if it's the person I think it is, I didn't ask the person because I, but if it's who I think, I'm going to go after, I was going to go after him. I was going to knock on the door of their house. And we need to talk. I think God has this wonderful way of challenging me. And I want you to notice, this is what Nehemiah did. When, when attacks came, he had a different perspective. Friends, when attacks come your way, there's two things you can do. You can either look for the presence of God in them, or you can look for the evidence of his absence in them. And that really speaks to your faith. Because God is in everything. But there are some people who can see God in everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, and there's some people that can't hardly see God in the good and definitely never in the good and the bad, or the bad and the ugly. But Nehemiah says, I know God's in this. And what he does and doesn't do is this. Number one, he doesn't stop working. He's stuck by the stuff. Proverbs says this. It's not the character and the quality of a man that falls down you'll see it in the way they're able to get back up. Though a man falls seven times, yet he gets back up. See, that's the key. 
It's not that we're attacked. It's going to happen. But that we're able to get through it. So what does he do in chapter 4, verse 19? Nehemiah rallies the troops. They were all spread out. And so when they get attacked, they'd get picked off individually. So this is what Nehemiah says. He makes a plan. He says, I'm going to blow a trumpet. And when the trumpet sounds, I want you to come together. And we're going to battle together. We're going to encourage. We're going to continue to dig out together. And we're not going to be isolated alone. Second thing he says is we're going to position ourselves to do warfare while we're working. It wasn't either or. Nehemiah is not the kind of guy that says, okay, we're going to pray all day. And then pray at night. He say. No, this is what you're going to do. We're, we're going to work in the day and pray at night. It's not either or, it's both. And he says this in, in chapter 4. He says, this is what we're going to do. Since we're being attacked, I want every worker to have a spear in one hand and a trowel in the other. Don't you love his practicalness? We're going to have a spear. We're going to be ready to fight. For some of us, that's, that's the word of God the sword of the Spirit of God. That we need to start picking that thing up and being aware of it because that's our, one of our greatest weapons. And for others, well, we got to keep working. we got to keep pressing and working through. Don't give up. Because that's what Nehemiah does. See, people today feel like you're not only under the rubble, but you're under attack. And you feel like, I've sifted through it long enough. And you're ready to give it up. You're ready to quit. Don't. See, Nehemiah was met by opposition. But every one of us, like Nehemiah, needs persistence. Can I tell you what I believe 75% of life is? 75% of life, of being a parent, of being a pastor, of being a leader, of being anything, is simply getting to get beyond the rubble in our life, to be a difference maker. It is, it is, it's this easy. It's God-driven, spirit-empowered I'm going to put my hand to the plow, and as God helps me, I'm not looking back, and I'm not giving up. But you've got to keep your hand on the plow, loved ones. And some of you are seeking to change through God's power. Maybe it's in your life. It's a habit you've got to release. It's in your marriage or your family, or you've hit a wall in your work, and you want people to change around you. But you've got opposition there. Of course you have. Why wouldn't you? The stakes are so high because God's involved. We are in a fallen, broken world. Friends, never forget, it is a spiritual battle that's taking place. And we can't overcome all of these issues and problems on our own. What's your job? Well, it's two things. Call on God and to continue to work and to persist to move forward. See, four times, Nehemiah's opponents sent him a letter. Stop what you're doing. We want to set up a meeting so we can talk. Four times. You know how Nehemiah responded? I'm not coming down. This is what he said. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down and talk to you. And this is where God stopped me and said, right now, I don't want you to go after that because you've got more important things to focus on. The mission, what God's called us to do. Now, if this persists, I will go after it. But I'm not going to let it distract me. 
until it distracts somebody else that says, I can't go to this, that, or the other because of this person. See, Nehemiah refuses as a leader, as someone who's rebuilding to spend a disproportionate amount of time trying to placate opposition, you know what, that will never be placated. He says, I'm not going to try and please people who will never be pleased. I'm going to do what God's called me to do and keep moving forward. And you know what? After a while, they realize they cannot stop this man who says, it's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And pretty soon, the opposition begins to be less prevalent in his life. And I want to say to some of you, stick by the stuff. Because the opposition will always be there. But pretty soon you'll be moving past it, beyond it, through it. And instead of it being right here, it'll be in your rearview mirror. Keep going. There's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be voices that say, you can't make a difference. That's silly. This is impossible. This is irrelevant. Give it up. Take the way of least resistance and go back. And you say, no, this is what God's called me to do. I want to invite the ushers to come. And I want to encourage you as we close with two pretty simple truths, but I think they're important to hear. Number one, God uses different personalities. God uses different people, different personality types to accomplish his work. Now, I want to say this because I know that people hear so many different things on a Sunday morning that they can be taken wrong. And what I'm going to say is somebody could say, see, there you go. I'm a jerk, but God will use me. I I I just got a really difficult, ugly personality, but God will use me. And that's probably true at some point, but never use that as an excuse for being a jerk. Because remember this, God always wants to transform us. The whole ultimate purpose of God is not only to redeem us, but to lead us to what? To be transformed from glory to glory into his image, his likeness. So that when people see us, they don't go, wow, what a jerk. They go, wow, what a display of God's grace. But see, sometimes some of us sit here and we go, oh, God can never use me because I'm not like, you know, George, or I'm not like Bob, or I'm not like Sue. So we just sit and we never engage in the most important mission in the world, God's church. And I want you to know God uses different personalities to do his work. Remember we talked about Nehemiah being this incredible blend of activity yet spirituality that would pray, but then he'd work. It wasn't either or, it was both and. Well, the book before Nehemiah is another person called Ezra. And he's reading the Bible in Nehemiah, but he was the one that come back. He was a priest that helped him rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by uh, the Babylonian siege. But Nehemiah and Ezra did God's work, but they were told two, two totally different personalities. Like, for instance, if you read in Nehemiah 2.8, it says this. Nehemiah goes and he asks the king. He says, king, would you give me this, 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 and this? Why does he say that? He says, because the good hand of God was upon him. Now, notice Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 21. Uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra doesn't ask for anything. 
He says, how could I ask the king for anything? A different king. How could I ask the king for anything? Because God's good hand is upon me. See the difference? Totally different. So Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they leave their people for a while after rebuilding of the wall and after the rebuilding of the temple and they come back and all of a sudden these people are kind of like out of control. They started intermarrying, which God said throughout the history of Israel, don't intermarry with other countries because I don't want their gods to come in and you become enticed by those gods through marriage. So they both come back and all of a sudden their people have intermarried and both of them come back ticked. They're mad. They're upset as leaders. Now notice what they do. Ezra comes back. He saw that situation at that time. And it says he pulled his own hair on his, from his beard and head. And he beat himself. Oh, God. God. These people. You know what Nehemiah did? <laughs> it says Nehemiah cursed them, beat them, and pulled their hair. I love that. But God uses these two totally different personalities that work differently. See, never forget, it's not, it's not right or wrong. But God uses different people and styles. I so love Nehemiah and his authority that says, come here, I'm going to deal with this. And then I love Ezra and his humility that says, oh God, what do we do? And it's easy to become judgmental and critical to believe your way is always right. And I want to challenge you. Give people the freedom to be growing and to be different. But more importantly, make sure that you don't look at a personality, your personality, and say, God could never use me. Because he can. And he will. And the last thing is this. Remember to celebrate. See, this, this is so important. This is a, a characteristic of a difference maker and a person that's going to help be a rebuilder. They're going to celebrate. There's going to be a joy about their life. If you read through the book, you'll see all this brokenness of the people. Their dreams were broken, but now Nehemiah comes and he, he rebuilds their dream and their dream is alive again. And it's cost them a lot. But they come together on the assembly in chapter 8. And this is what it says. Ezra read from the book of the law from daybreak to noon, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Get this, six hours of preaching. Isn't that fabulous? You don't love that verse? See, people sometimes wonder, what's the good length of a sermon? Oh, I think I just found it. I love this part of the Bible. Because see, when you hear the word law, they're reading from the law. See, you think, oh, it's got all these negative connotations. Do this, don't do that. But this people understood as they heard it again for the first time in a long time that their God was graciously at work in them, watching over them, and it brought them to this place of brokenness and repentance because that's what the Word does. It cuts through your heart, and it changes your life. And that's what these people were facing. And they knew now God's back rebuilding, renewing, reestablishing who we are in him so that his redemptive purposes can be worked out in and through, not only for that time, but for history coming. What a powerful, beautiful thing. Their hearts are broken because the walls have been broken down. But now they're up because one man said, that's all I can stand 
I can't stand no more. And Nehemiah makes another difference in their heart. And I love this. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Don't grieve. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you get that? They just completed this massive project. And then they hear the law. Listen, they finished this thing in 52 days. Under budget, on time. Never happens with a government project, but they did it. And, they're, and they hear the law. They hear God's word and they're broken. And they're crying and they're mourning. God, we failed you. And Nehemiah steps up and says, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I want you to, and I want the ushers to come and I want you to pass out the next emblem. He says, we're going to celebrate. He says, I want you to take some sweet drink and I want you to take some choice food because now God has provided for us and we're going to celebrate God's goodness. And where we might be tired, we might be beat down, we might be oppressed by the enemies of our life, he says, guess what? We're going to partake and we're going to celebrate. And I don't know where you are today, but I want, when you leave today, I hope you're challenged, but I also hope you realize that whatever it is you need to rebuild, God says, we're going to celebrate the rebuilding of your life. You want to rebuild your marriage? Start praying. Start working. Do something. It might be dynamic marriage. It might be getting counseling. <laughs> but celebrate. Start doing something. Want to change a habit? Celebrate God's power and provision in you. Start building. Start praying. Start asking. Want to see your kids change? Want to see your finances change? Make a plan. Start praying. Start acting. Hear God's voice for your situation. Pursue Him. And begin to celebrate because He says He's a God of promise. And all He is waiting for is for people to step up and to step in and to pursue Him. Call out to Him and then do what He says. And guess what? Debris can quickly become blocks of grace, His goodness that rebuilds your life, gives you new identity and security in Him. But we each make that decision. Father, this.